In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Hi, y'all. Nicole here. This podcast is intended to inspire you on your personal spiritual journey to inner peace. I am not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional health or medical advice. This applies to the podcast guests and or co-hosts. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. You are listening to A Psychic Story a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Mysticism. Hi, Psychic listeners. You are on another episode of A Psychic Story. And for this episode, we have Dr. Jennifer Lisa Vest. She is a medical intuitive, Akashic Records reader, mystic, ceremonialist, and healer. And we are going to be talking more about medical intuitives and or medical intuition and what that's like. And I just really want to welcome you to the show. Oh, well, it's so good to be here, Nicole. Thanks for having me. You have a fascinating story, and I love everything about it. So I don't want to give it away if you don't <laughs> mind just starting out about how you came to be who you are and your journey. Okay. Should I start at the beginning? Yeah. As, as <laughs> okay. far back as you want. All right. Well, then we have to start at birth. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so I, I remember being born into a house of spirits. So I had this kind of, um, you know, dramatic birth. And um, and then all through my childhood. What do you mean by house, house of spirits? Well, that's just the way I remember the hospital. It just felt like there were all of these spirits in the hospital when I was born. Okay. okay. And it was kind of scary. Okay. Great. Well, yeah. thank you for that. Um, I, I wasn't <laughs> sure what you meant by house of spirits, if that was a terminology I needed to be aware of. Okay. No, it's just like a phrase I had in my head as a child mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that I was born into a house of spirits. Um, I love hearing other birth stories because that's how I remember my, well, obviously I remember my journey of being born and had that had stuck with me as well throughout my life. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all growing up, I was always surrounded by spirits, you know, some nice, some not so nice. Um, but I, I had some very positive experiences as a child with um, spirit teachers that would come and get me at night and take me out of my body and they would take me on journeys and they were, you know, educational journeys. And so I would either go to spirit school where I'd be like in a classroom full of like little balls of light. We were all balls of light. Mm. Or I would go on tours. They would take me on tours of the planet. They would also take me to visit the past and the future. And then they also, you know, took me to meet my counsel, like my teachers and my um spirit classmates. 
When you said that you would travel on like the planet, was it planet Earth or was it other planets too? Uh, it was mostly planet Earth. I did also visit other planets. Yeah. Oh, very cool. So in the classroom, you were like orbs and spirit lights. And then when you would visit Earth, what was your spirit council like? Did they show up in a certain way or was it more about energy and feeling? Well, it really changed over time. So I've been dealing with them for, you know, decades now. But when I was when I was really young, I had kind of these tall um, cylinders of light that were my teachers who would come and get me. And then sometimes they showed up as people that looked like, you know, humans. And um, sometimes I had people showing up who looked like ETs from other planets. And so sometimes they would take me to other to other planets. And then when I first met my my council, it was like my classmates in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So it was like little balls of light sitting at desk and then a teacher at the front. Hmm. That's when I was very young. But then as I got older, I began to see them as a council, like a, like we were sitting at a circular table. And again, we're balls of light. But then I started over time to differentiate them more. So like the four balls of light on one side were had a more female energy, and then four balls of light on the other side had more of a masculine energy. And then there were four teachers and the teachers, you could tell they were teachers because of this, of the, the height of their hats, kind of mm-hmm. like chefs. Mm-hmm. They had kind of a hats of light. And the taller a spirit is, the more um, advanced it is. That's and so, so I began fascinating. to differentiate the what I kind of thought of as classmates. But they were all, I guess the difference would be like the classmate level guides are spirits that have incarnated, like they've had earth lives. Whereas the spirit teachers, they're not like from the human incarnation line, they're more from like the angelic line, they're a higher level being that does that only works on the other side. They don't, they don't come down here and, and get, get born. So when you were having those experiences, like had anyone in your family actually, you know, did you talk and share about it or did they have similar experiences or were you kind of on your own with that? Uh, a little bit of both because I was raised in, you know, different families growing up. So my mother's psychic and my mother's like whole female line was psychic, but it wasn't something that, um, so she and I used to like, she used to have me do ceremonies with her. She read the tarot. She was an astrologer and she, she even worked like as a, on a psychic hotline at a certain point, told me to never, ever do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, and so I had my mother who was like, oh yeah, you're like me. And then I had my great grandmother on my father's side who was like, oh, you're the one that has the gifts that I have. And that side of the family, that particular line, the the female line on my father's side also had it. But then, and so she was teaching me from like age two to age 10, but then she died when I was 10. And she did continue to teach me on the other side as a spirit. But at that point, around age 10, I was no longer living with my mother and I was, I no longer had my great grandmother. And at that point, I had, you know, an evil stepmother <laughs> oh, gosh. Who, who kept threatening to take me to the loony bin because of my experiences. And so at that point, I had to kind of um, not talk about it. And I did feel at that point very isolated from like age 10. And then when did you start to step more into the light again and, and talk about it or share it? What was that like? I, 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 love, I love your story about not that you were sick, but that it, it catapulted you into what you do now. Yeah. I mean, I had all of these experiences my whole life. And, but at the same time, I was always trying to lead this kind of traditional academic life. 
And so the only people that really knew about it were my family and friends and whoever I dated because I couldn't hide it because I was like channeling people at (laughs) night. But with other people, like in my profession, I was trying to be on the down low. And I kept being pulled into it by teachers. So I kept having teachers pull me in and start teaching me. Um, Over the years, I got taught by teachers in Jamaica and in um, Trinidad. And then I got taught by a firekeeper in the Native American sweat lodge tradition. And all of these situations were ones where I just kind of got pulled in. I wasn't seeking it, but it's like I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't get away from it. (laughs) And also, I just had these spirit teachers constantly taking me out of body and showing me things and showing me the future and making it really hard to kind of just be a normal person. But it wasn't really until um, I got sick that I was forced to really deal with it fully and make it really part of my full-time life. Um, and so I got, I got sick with a mystery illness and I was in my thirties and I was going to all these doctors. I was, um, you know, going to all these alternative therapists and, and different types of modalities. And I was just getting worse no matter what I did. And so my dad, who's, you know, who's a very, you know, he's an enlightened person who's, who's tapped into a lot of things, um, took me to a medical intuitive to try to find out, you know, what was going on. And this particular medical intuitive, I look back on her now and I feel like I wouldn't probably call her a medical intuitive now that I'm one because she didn't actually provide me with any medical information, (laughs) but I think she was just a really powerful medical intuitive. I mean, powerful intuitive. And so what she addressed was like all of the um, kind of life purpose issues that were related to my health and told me that the reason, one of the, one of the reasons I was so sick was because I had all of these psychic gifts that I wasn't fully embracing. I had this love hate relationship with them and I kept turning them on and turning them off throughout my life. And she said, you have to deal with them. You have to actually go and take formal classes and you have to actually take this seriously and stop hiding. And I was so in need of wanting to get better that I was willing to do anything. (laughs) So I said, okay. And as soon as I got to, I was moving at the time to Florida. As soon as I got to Florida, I went on like a, back then we didn't have um, like all this social media. And so I had to go on to some kind of chat room or listserv or I don't know, (laughs) and, and ask people, hey, does anyone know where I can take a psychic class? And I found this teacher, Maida Jones who was teaching psychic development in Orlando, Florida. And I started taking classes and she then took us on a field trip to this place called Casadega, which is a spiritualist community where everyone there is a medium or a healer. I heard of this place. Yeah. And I just immediately, when I got there, I could feel the energy. It's like Sedona. If if you're sensitive Mm -hmm. to vortices, vortices, you'll feel it. And I could always feel that kind of energy. And so when I got there, I was like, oh my God, I don't ever want to (laughs) leave. And so I started driving an hour and a half each way to take classes there a couple times a week. And then I ended up moving there and living there and studying for five years with different teachers. And, you know, their, their real focus is mediumship and spiritual healing. And so those are the classes I was taking. And I was advancing very quickly because I had so many natural gifts But what was unique about my development compared to my classmates was that I was always picking up physical information about the humans and also the dead people. And so if I was doing a mediumship reading, you know, Aunt Claire is coming through, I was always getting Aunt Claire's cause of death. If I was 
working with a classmate on any kind of psychic reading, I was always getting health. And my teacher said, you know, you really have to develop this because this is a rare gift. And um, there weren't that many medical intuitives back then. It wasn't as well known as it is now. And I was looking for teachers. There weren't really teachers around. I just read whatever books I could find. I did take some classes that said they were about medical intuition. And eventually, my teachers and I ended up forming our own medical intuition circle to practice. And I had like, I was really fortunate because I had like my three best teachers. We had become friends after a few years and kind of colleagues. And we started, but they all had a little bit of medical intuitive gift. And we just started getting uh, names from people that we didn't, you know, friends of friends, people, we didn't know these people. We just get a name and we would work on it as a group remotely. And then I would type up these big reports and we would send the report back to the person who then gave it to the person that was actually sick. And then we would ask that they give us feedback, what was right, what was wrong, you know. And that's how we developed initially was through that circle. And then I started, you know, volunteering, doing readings, you know, sessions for all my family and friends for free. And then I started working, you know, volunteering at a church, doing, you know, I was at that point, I had been trained in spiritual healing, Reiki, pranic, all types of healing. And so I was doing healing work. And then while I was doing, had someone on my table, I would get medical intuition information. And the interesting thing was the person running that, that healing group told me I couldn't do medical intuition. She even made me get rid of my cards that said medical intuitive, like they were... They were really on my, you can't do this here. And so I had to start saying to people, well, I can't, you know, I can't tell you this, but if you want to know, like, you know, call me, whatever. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, people are funny. I understand why in a lot of ways, um, you know, medical intuitives have gotten a bad rap lately. It, you know, it's for many reasons that most of which I don't necessarily agree with, but for people that aren't familiar with medical intuition or intuitives, from your perspective, how would you define them? Because um, you mentioned like, you know, you started it really for the most part. There wasn't a lot of this out there and created kind of this process and this practice. So would, do you mind sharing that? Sure. Um, so medical intuition is kind of a unique form of psychic work and it's kind of a hybrid work because we we rely on intuition but we also rely on things like anatomy and knowledge about modalities. And it's really focused on evidence. And so um, with medical intuition, what you do is you use your gifts like clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, claircognizance. I also do telepathy with organs and you can, you can use mediumship as well. But you use different psychic gifts to access information about somebody's body and their health. And and then you can use that information to either advise them on what kind of doctors to go see, what kind of treatments to consider, um, you know, what their next steps are, what kind of self-care they can engage in, what kind of dietary changes or lifestyle changes they can make. It can result in a lot of different types of advice. And of course, in this country, in the United States, legally, we're not allowed to diagnose. And there's a lot of, um, you know, the medical establishment is very hostile to medical intuition or anything that's outside of AMA. Mm-hmm. And so we do have to be very careful um, about what we say. We can't diagnose, so we can give information, but we have to always kind of be careful about saying, hey, I'm not diagnosing you, and you know, please go see your doctor. Like, don't, don't see me in place mm-hmm. of medical care. Right. We have to be very careful. But the reality is a good medical intuitive can diagnose 
We're not allowed to, Mm -hmm. but we can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so my vision for the future is that medical intuition and mainstream medicine will work together. And that's how I work. When a client comes to me, I tell them, hey, this is what I'm picking up. Um, Why don't you go and get this test? Why don't you go see your doctor and ask for this type of test? Why don't you go and ask them about this? And that way we can all get on the same page um, because ideally we should all be working together, not at cross purposes. Right, right. And I'm sure doctors love that too, because <laughs> already there's like Google and WebMD and people are saying, I think this, this, and this. But the difference with this, in my opinion, is that, you know, you're listening to your own body, you're listening to your intuition, you're having someone tap in to their intuition, and you're trying to holistically look at the full picture of you spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically versus just the physical aspect, which in my opinion, again, modern day medicine doesn't always equate, right? It was a very long, difficult and lonely journey for me for a big portion of my life because I didn't feel like I could talk to my doctors about the experiences that I was having without, like you mentioned, being put in a loony bin. And I don't mean to laugh lightly, but I mean, I can laugh now (laughs) because more people talk about it, but back then that wasn't the case. So- yeah. Okay. How do you, how do you see it? So I know you mentioned that you, you do different types, leverage different types of modalities and practices, but when you're tuning into someone, what does that look like? Or how does it show up for you? Okay. Um, the way I work, I work with a lot of different gifts and that's the way I teach my students to use as many gifts as possible. Um, and that's, that's, that's really because I had great teachers who taught me that we should develop all of our gifts and not over rely on our strong gifts. And So the way that I teach and the way that I work is one of the scans I do initially is a clairvoyance scan where I'm looking at the body with my eyes closed, my work looking with my third eye, and I'm scanning down the body with like an MRI machine and I'm getting hits for where there are problems. And that's my first kind of clairvoyance scan. It's also clairaudient because I will hear a little alarm go off, a little buzzer. And then I'll do like a zoom in again, clairvoyantly. I'm looking inside and I'm actually seeing the organs and different things in the body. And I will zoom into, you know, exactly where is a problem. Another type of scan I do is called a claircognizance scan. And claircognizance is when you just know something intuitively. You don't use any kind of psychic senses. And I like to use that gift for yes, no, true, false questions. And so for the claircognizance scan, I do a system scan. So there's different systems that we have in our body, anatomical systems, like, you know, your skeletal system, your nervous system, your circulatory, your endocrine system. And you can use claircognizance to scan through that list of like seven systems to identify which system is at play. So for example, if I get a hit on someone's shoulder, I can then do a system scan, say, okay, what is it? Is it the skin? Is it the muscle? Is it the bone? Is it the circulation, right? That's so is it fascinating. The gland? And that's another way to get information. Then another way that I work is to telepathically with the organ where if I've identified an organ, like let's say we're in the abdomen and we have the spleen and that's where the problem is, I then might set up a dialogue with the spleen and ask the spleen a couple of key questions. You know, what's wrong? What do you need? What do you want? What's your message for the human? And because there's always a message in illness. That's, you know, why we get ill, because there's a message or something that we need to know. And manifests in the physical as a result. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. It manifests in the physical. And so sometimes the spleen will say, well, I, I need more of this nutrient. I'm not getting enough of this. You know, I don't have enough water. Or, like, there'll be some physical needs. And then there might be emotional needs. Um, and there might be a message. 
That's the physical scan. And most of my sessions, I focus mainly on the physical because most people that come to a medical intuitive are coming because they have failed to get diagnosed or properly diagnosed. And their number one priority is usually the physical situation. And, and so once we've addressed the physical, then I ask them, you know, are you open to getting emotional information as well? I don't assume Mm -hmm. because part of the damage that happens to people in the medical system is because allopathic medicine is set up to address physical problems, but it's not set up to address emotional, the way that that sometimes plays out is that if the doctor thinks you have an emotional component to your illness, they see it as a differential diagnosis rather than a part of the problem. And so it's like, if you have an emotional problem, you don't have a physical problem. Mm. (laughs) It's either or. When in reality, most illnesses are a combination of physical, emotional, and spiritual causes. It's not either or. Um, And so I, I will get a lot of clients who come to me who've been wounded by encounters with medical professionals where, and a lot of times it's women and people of color. This, these communities are treated this way more than like men. Just dismissed. Yeah. Dismissed or told they're crazy or told they're, they're just stressed out or they just have to go see a therapist. And then they don't get the test they need. They don't get the diagnosis. They don't get any treatment for their actual physical ailments. They're only being directed to psychological treatment. And so because of that woundedness, I always ask, are you open? Do you, you want emotional information? And then if they do, then I'll do an emotional scan. And that's where I look at what are the emotional components of their illness? Now you can also do a spiritual scan and, 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 you know, I find that all illnesses are caused by, uh, you know, physical, emotional, or spiritual causes, usually at least two of those at once, sometimes all three on rare occasions, it's just one. Um, and so there are some people who have spiritual illnesses where the entire cause of the illness is spiritual. And by that, I mean, um, usually like karmic or life purpose based. And so people incarnate with specific conditions in order to uh, facilitate their life purpose or to address some karmic um, work that they've agreed to do with another soul. And so in that case, I'll do a spiritual scan. That is so fascinating. I love this whole topic. I know I keep saying the word love, but I truly am. I'm just so interested because when I first got my Reiki certification and I was doing the energy healings on people. So for folks that don't know, like level one is you work on yourself or you heal yourself. Level two is you work on other people. Level three is the long distance. I was as I I was being taught, or I was taught to first kind of scan the aura and scan the energy field, um, that sort of thing. But when I was doing the energy scan of the the soul, I would get spots like black spots in my mind's eye as I was going down the body, and I'd be like, okay. And I I always equated it to energy, like stagnant energy that was stored or areas that needed to be cleared. And then that's when I knew I had to work on a certain area somewhere. And, but I never went into like, to the extent of what you're talking about, which is actually the medical piece and the physical piece. I always knew it was connected just by talking to source and getting the messages. But what would you say that is? Is that, (laughs) cause that's why I always feel like mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, but I don't get into the physical part of it as much. Mm. Are you asking me what those black spots were? Yeah. Or what would you say that is? Is it, do I have the medical intuition aspect or is that just like the energy piece of it with healing? Well, um, it's possible. Um, it's possible that you're picking that the way you work, that when you see black spots, that indicates illness. 
I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know because I don't know how you work, but that is how some people work. They will see, they will see things that indicate illness. That's what I think it is. And I, th- but, but my guides were kind of directing me or again, intuitively what I was getting was that's where I needed to work on clearing energy spiritually and emotionally yes. to then heal the physical piece. Okay. So here's the, here's the challenge that you're encountering right yeah, here. Yeah, please do. And I'm not asking this just for me. I'm asking because I feel like the question's out there from other people too. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge that you're facing when you have those black spots is what level are you working on? So when we're viewing somebody's aura, the aura has layers. Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to distinguish the layers, you might not be, be aware of, am I seeing something physical, emotional, spiritual, right? Because uh, it could be either one of those, depending on what level of the aura you're accessing. So when you're working at the, at the phys- if you're looking at the physical body or the first layer of the aura, which is the etheric, then you're going to get all the physical information about the body. So if you were looking at the etheric level of the aura and you saw black spots, and I would say that's definitely illness. Uh, that's what I think it is because I don't see it in the aura. I don't see it in the spirit or the soul. I see it in the actual physical body itself. If you see it in the physical body, then it's definitely physical. If you see it beyond the etheric, like if you get into the emotional body, mm-hmm. then you're the emotional le- level of the layer ah, layer of the aura. <laughs> Then you're looking at emotions like thought forms or the, or the mental or emotional layers. You're going to see thought forms or strong emotions that are stuck in the aura, right? Like blobs of mm-hmm. darkness. And then if you get further out into the, the upper levels of the aura, um, like the causal, then you're going to, or the spiritual or the buddhic, there's different names for it depending on what tradition you're trained in. But when you get into those upper layers of the aura, then you're just looking at the soul and past lives and karmic entanglements. And so, yeah, it sounds like you already know what layer you were looking at. So you already know it's physical. Yeah. I was just, I didn't realize that again, when I started out that that's what it was, always it would equate it to the physical piece. And anyway, so that's fascinating. I'm I'm feeling led. I'm probably gonna have to take some classes with you on that (laughs) level. But anyway, back to your story and your experience. So people come to you uh, for this medical intuition uh, uh, and to get diagnoses to this extent where you're saying, go to your doctor, get these tests, that sort of thing. What other things have you experienced within like your practice or people coming to you? Okay. So I started out really focusing just on medical intuition because even though I had so much training in mediumship and psychic development and I, you know, there's a lot of things and I, you know, there was a lot of things I could do and that I did do. Like when I was starting out, I had to work for other people. And when you work for other people, you have to do what they want you to do. You don't just do what you want to do, right? (laughs) And so I, you know, like when I worked for that church, I was only allowed to do, you know, spiritual healing. And when I worked for a couple of metaphysical shops in LA, you know, one of them required that we read cards. That was a requirement of the job. So I had to read cards. In another one that I, that I worked for, I had to do mediumship. Um, I had to do whatever they wanted. (laughs) And so I've done a lot of things, but I, when I started my practice, I really wanted to focus on medical intuition to the exclusion of everything else. And I don't know why, but I think I just needed to do that to hone my gifts to just be very, very focused. And so I did that for a number of years. But what happened is over time, I began to get more and more information about soul level information or soul level causes of illness. And I then started to access the Akashic records 
And that was kind of an interesting journey in itself because I wasn't, again, I wasn't trained to access the Akashic records by a human. I, um, I had been accessing them my whole life apparently and didn't know it. And one day I just suddenly got the idea, which I'm sure wasn't my idea, but you know, spirit put it there. I need to find an Akashic records reader. And I had met one Akashic Records reader at a spiritualist fair in in Rhode Island years ago. And she had told me this big story about how I was going to become this big healer and teacher and do all these amazing things. And I was like, yeah, you're crazy, lady. That's not my path. I'm a professor. I'm just going to be doing that because I was a professor back then. (laughs) And of course, she was right. Everything she said came to pass. But because things started coming to pass that she had said years before, I thought there's something to this. So I call up somebody I find online. This this was several years ago, again, before this was kind of something people knew about. And I, I met this person. This person actually online, I think, emailed me back and said, oh, I'm not taking clients right now. I'm on a break. But you don't need me to do an Akashic Records reading. You can just do it yourself. Here is a meditation. And I thought, that's weird. So she gives me this meditation. So I sit down and I try to meditate myself, like, you know, reading, like closing my <laughs> eyes. Okay. Walk into the, okay, walk, you know. <laughs> right. Because well, back, back then you had to have somebody read it to you. Like my sister would read, right? read things to me to get me in that state because you didn't have the audio. Yeah. Right. I didn't have the audio. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, well, it only took like two sentences and boom, I was in my library. Wow. So I was in the... I had been visiting this library my whole life, and I just thought of it as my library where I would get information. And that's how I found out that my library is the Akashic Records. And from that point on, I started to access the Akashic Records to um, get information about people's souls and their life paths. And so I would go to the Akashic Records, and I could actually go and sit in on their pre-life conference with their incarnation guide and whatever people they had whatever soulmates or karmic ties they had, I would, I would sit in and then I would share with them, you know, what their agreements were, what their purpose was, you know, for that lifetime. And I was initially getting that information as it related to illness. So if a person incarnated with a particular disability or disfigurement or like really serious condition, sometimes it was linked to a pre-life agreement. And over time, some of my clients wanted to do more than just look at their illness. Some people just want to look at their purpose more. And so over time, I started to also offer what I called life purpose readings, where people would come just for the purpose of going to the Akashic Records and finding out what were their pre-life agreements for this lifetime, and then what were their connections with certain people. So people would ask about relationships, life purpose, illness, career, but always as it relates to um, what they signed up for before they were born. And so I started to do um, that as well so that my practice became medical intuition and health coaching, which is like doing sessions as a person recovers, they might come back for a few more sessions. And then life purpose coaching, where people would come to me to find out what their life purpose is. And then some people would come back for a few more sessions to work on different parts of their life. Like they might focus on career and then their relationship and uh, their spiritual path in different sessions. Amazing. Yeah. I Have you ever seen the movie The Lock, Lock and Key on Netflix? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. There's some really cool scenes in it. They go in. I'm not ruining any spoilers for anybody who hasn't watched it. But in the <laughs> in the show, there are these different areas. So yours was a library, right? But it may be to somebody else, it may be a mall. To someone else, it may be a toy store or um, a beach or whatever it is. But these rooms hold all their memories. And in the show, it's specific to their memories of that lifetime. But when I was watching it, I was like, that's what the Akashic Records is. It's like not just the information and memories we have in this life. It's like all of those other lifetimes. So if you haven't watched it, it's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. So anything else on the medical intuition or the Akashic Records? Because I did want to get to your book, uh, The Ethical Psychic. Yeah. Let's talk about the book. Yeah. Please tell me. So, (laughs) oh, I love the cover. I love the colors. So for those that can't see, it's it's aura colors. I'll I'll share it when we post the episode. Yeah, I was really happy with the cover they they picked. They did let me have a little input. They gave me different options, and I was so happy with this one. I said, "Oh, that's just beautiful. It's just perfect." So yeah. So what made you want to write it, and what's it about? I think I can tell by the title, but <laughs> tell us. <laughs> well, it's called the Ethical Psychic, and um, it's. Uh, you know, it's called A Beginner's Guide to Healing with Integrity, Avoiding Unethical Encounters, and Using Your Gifts for Good. So that kind of summarizes mm. what it's about. Um, and I was really inspired to write it by um, a lot of different things that I was seeing and experiencing as um, a psychic and also as a teacher. Um, I've been teaching psychic development, healing, Reiki, mediumship, Akashic Records, and medical intuition for a number of years. I also used to run my own psychic and healing fair. So for five years, I ran a fair in Long Beach and I had different psychics and healers that um, would work at my fair. And I've also worked for different metaphysical uh, bookstores and, and churches and community centers. And I just saw a lot of things that were problematic. And and as I was teaching, I kept trying to, I kept focusing on ethics in my classes, sometimes to the annoyance of my students. And I did that because I just, I, I was trained in that way, but the ethical training I got tended to come in kind of traditional settings. You know, when I was working with priestesses and healers and medicine people in that more informal, traditional way of learning, there's always a big focus on character and ethics and like doing the right thing and, and being of service. Uh, but as I started to get into, um, taking classes in more secular kind of, you know, a cultural environments, um, there wasn't as much of a focus on ethics. And I was noticing that my students, you know, a lot of them, they're learning from books, they're learning from just all kinds of random teachers and they're not necessarily getting any training. And so I thought this book would allow me to reach a lot more people um, that all the people out there who are trying to learn and develop their gifts, who need some, some ethical information to help them in their development, could, could use my book as a resource. And I really was inspired by, um, you know, some things that I saw, you know, some, some behavior of my colleagues who were people I saw who were being manipulated by unethical psychics or people who were getting seduced by engaging in certain unethical practices because of their ego or because of money. Um, Some of my students who didn't want to kind of work hard 
and wanted a quick, fast and dirty way of developing would get caught up in certain forms of what I call filthy magic or, you know, witchcraft that doesn't have ethics. You know, witchcraft done properly has ethics, but of course, anything can be corrupted and, and misappropriated. And so you see that, um, that people like they want to go learn um, voodoo, but they only want to learn how to do spells. You know, they want to be witches, but they don't actually want to learn the witches read. They don't want to actually learn the ethics. They just Or they don't want to give up what has to be the give and take when you do that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, they, they just want to use it to um, manipulate people and manipulate circumstances without any sense of responsibility. And, and so because I saw a lot of that happening, I felt like I needed to, to write a book that would help people to navigate that. That is amazing that you do that because, you know, this is a, a call to action, I guess, for all practitioners out there that if you don't have ethics or part of your courses or your coursework for your students, you should probably consider it. I do think it's out there. It's just to your point, some sometimes people just gloss over it or you think it's just an obvious thing when in which case, you know, you have the whole, like the saying in my mind is going treat others as you would like to be treated. But there's a level of responsibility even more so spiritually when you are not only a practitioner, but then when you train people and you're going out there. And I think also to graduate people and to give them a certification in something, you know, what is it that you stand for? What are your expectations with other people who are becoming these light workers in the world? world. And um, I'm definitely going to get your book and read it. I did not have a chance before this interview, but can you, can you share a little bit about maybe some things that people do to just that are red flags or that they maybe should watch out for if they're going to be working with a practitioner? Yeah. Um, you know, an example I like to give is there was recently a um, like a Hulu expose about a spiritual teacher who's very popular. I'm not going to name any names, but um, they were interviewing this person. A multimillionaire, by the way. <laughs> multimillionaire, very successful. And they asked her who her teachers were. And she said, I don't have any teachers. And they said, well, why don't you have any teachers? And she said, because there's nobody in the world who could teach me. There is nobody who knows as much as I know. Major red flag. <laughs> and so one of the things I, I say, you sh- <laughs> yeah, you should look for is humility. A spiritual teacher um, should be humble an ethic, you know, a a psychic or healer you go to should be humble. They should have teachers. They should recognize their limitations. And so part of that is being aware of, of what you can and cannot do. Don't say you're a medical intuitive when you're actually an intuitive and you don't have any medical intuitive knowledge, (laughs) you know, don't pretend to do things that you can't do. We all have limitations. We didn't all come here with a gift in absolutely everything. <laughs> if we did, we would be at the top of the world because <laughs> we would know and, you know, all of it. Yeah, no, that that's huge because I also say, like, I'm not a medium. I'm not a psychic medium. I can communicate with my angels and my guides. And to some extent, sometimes I get messages from loved ones, mine included in particular, but I, it doesn't always come through. And so I don't advertise as that. I refer people to that. But that is a part of the humility. And like you said, accepting the, the limitations. Um, what else? What are some other things people should look out for? Um, you should also look out for off, you know, authenticity. So, um, People should be operating out of an authentic um, experience. So we all have certain training and we all come out of certain traditions and you should be able to articulate, you know, what traditions you're trained in and, 
you know, that then governs what kind of work you do. But when you have these teachers who are claiming to do work in traditions that they're not from, and they can't actually, you know, kind of tell you the story of how they were trained in that tradition by authentic cultural holders of that tradition, um, then you're going to, then you're going to be dealing with someone who's engaging in cultural appropriation usually. And so they like went to Peru, they had an ayahuasca experience, they had this wonderful encounter, and then they came back to the States and decided to start running ayahuasca ceremonies and, you know, and charging people money. And the thing is, they weren't trained to do that. They were, you know, it's different if they went down there and a medicine person trained them for several years, right? (laughs) And then gave them the authority to do that. But you'll have people you know, who aren't really working authentically in the ways in which they've been trained. And that's a big red flag. And so whenever you meet someone you want, they should be able to articulate, you know, how they were trained, who trained them, why they, why they practice the way they do. It shouldn't be just a hodgepodge of things that they read about. It's not a hobby. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a hobby. It's a calling. If it is a hobby, that's great. But then don't advertise yourself or, you know, try to teach others or do all these other things that you don't have the the knowledge about, right? In the way. Yeah, if it's a hobby, then you can't you can't use it on other people in ways that might harm them, you know? Yeah, that could because it can be it can be very, very dangerous. Let's talk about a very obvious one that's been bugging me <laughs> a lot lately, and that is the scammers and impersonators that reach out on social media, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and other. I don't know if you've experienced it. I know I certainly have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But would you share about that? And I'm, I'm happy to weigh in too. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. You know, people are sending you emails and TikTok direct messages and Instagram direct messages saying, oh, I, I'm a psychic. I want to give you a reading. And when I started getting those, I was like, sure. What? what? <laughs> right. Yeah. What is this? Like, I just uh, didn't really understand what the purpose of that was. You know, what's interesting is when you're actually... When you're actually called to this work, it's not something you really seek out. And so that's kind of something you have to be aware of is that, you know, when you listen to people who are actually medicine people, you will, they will all have a similar story like mine where we kind of came to it kicking and screaming. We didn't want to do this work. I had a career. I was a professor. Yeah. You know, same. I, well, I, I mean, I, I wasn't had, a professor, but yeah, same. I had exactly. academic degrees. I had a, you know, I wasn't trying to do this as my job. And yet I kept being asked to do it and asked to do it and pushed to do it and finally forced to do it. You know, (laughs) that's how it felt. And because it's my calling, because it's what I'm supposed to do. And so with this work, I never, I don't, even though I I do it as a, a business now, I mean, I do get paid to do it. I don't do like hard sales the way you would do in another field. Because you can't really talk somebody into doing spiritual work. They have to be ready to do it. And so you can advertise and that you can like make people aware that of what you have to offer, but there can never be a hard sell. Like if people would call me, I actually stopped taking phone calls early on in my, in my career with this work because people wanted to call me up and they wanted me to talk them into getting a reading tell them why I, they should get one. And, and I just felt like that wasn't right. 
because this work isn't that kind of work. It's like when you're ready to do it, you're going to find the appropriate person and you're going to do the work. Uh, but you should not be kind of being persuaded. And, and so I even went so far as to, um, try to weed out people that I felt were coming because say someone else had persuaded them to come see me, or they had been kind of harassed into coming to see me by family right, members. Yeah. Like, and I would say, okay, well, I can't do this session for you. If you're only here because somebody sent you, do you want to be here? Like, mm-hmm. are you, are you actually wanting this information? <laughs> you have free will and choice. <laughs> yeah. And so when you see someone kind of doing a hard sell to get you to get a reading, that always makes me a little suspicious that it isn't really their life work. It's something that they're doing to make money or for status or some other reason, because when it's your life work, um, you're not really going to be in that mode of trying to talk people into doing this work. Yes. So that that is a red flag, I think, um, that kind of hard sell. I struggle with that, too, because you know, in the sense of, like you were said, I kind of did this kicking and screaming. Like my whole life, I, I it was a part of who I was and who I am. And I certainly never hid that aspect of it. But when I felt called to do the podcast, it was just to do the podcast, to share other people's stories and be a connector of sorts and a resource. But then people were asking for readings. They were saying, do you do it? That sort of thing. And I kept saying no. And then I tuned in to higher self and my guides and angels. And they were like, you need to. And I was like, but why? There are a million practitioners out here on this earth. I don't, they don't need to come to me. I'm, that's why I have the, they can go to whomever. And they're like, no. And the why that I found out is because I'm helping to understand and then further connect people. It's not the readings necessarily like your mom, like 1-800-PSYCHIC. Like, Honestly, don't come to me if you want to know about all that other stuff that, a, you know, somebody else can give you. Like, it's more about the deeper purpose, the deeper meaning do you want to do the spiritual work? In which case, then yes, let's talk and chat. So that to me is meaningful, right? But I agree with you. And I think where I'm at right now, at least for other people who are looking to do this type of work is please listen to Dr. Vest, is that if you're looking at it from a full-on business perspective or model and you're thinking, okay, sales and marketing and everything else, then your heart's really not in it for the right reasons when it comes to spirituality and everything else. There's nothing wrong about it, but at the same time, just take a hard look about why you're doing it. Are you doing it in service to others? Is that your calling on that deeper level? Yeah. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book is that this, this work really should be guided by service. And that whenever it's not guided by service, that's when people start to get themselves into trouble. Um, because when you're guided by service, it makes it a lot easier for you to uh, kind of handle these ethical dilemmas that come up. And so I'll, get, I'll give an example Um, like if you're, if you're, you know, offering services and then people keep asking you for services that you don't offer, um, as a business person, you might be tempted to offer those services because that's going to expand your client base and that's what's popular right now. And in any other business that would make sense. But in this business, you would have to ask yourself, well, is that in alignment with my purpose? Is that what I was brought here to do? And And am I trained in it? (laughs) Am I trained in it? And because if you're not, then what's going to happen is, yeah, maybe you could learn it and, you know, get trained in it. But if your primary motivation is money, then that's going to corrupt your offering, right? Because sometimes you're going to be making decisions 
um, about your business that are really about business and money and not about what's really of service to your client. Because just because something is popular doesn't mean that's the best thing for your client. And so sometimes your job is to tell a client, no, I'm not going to do that for you because that wouldn't be appropriate for you at this time. Right. Absolutely. And saying no is something that you can do if you're coming from a space of service. But if you're coming from a space of I'm trying to make money or I'm trying to have a certain status, then you're not going to want to ever say no to a client, for example. Clients can be very demanding and they can be they can become addicted to their psychics. They're calling you all the time. And I also turn people away that come to me. <laughs> too often. I'm like, you have no. to. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I say in the book too, is that you have to cut people off because if they become dependent on you, then they're not taking charge of their whole life. And so you're not helping them. And that's a huge red flag too. FYI, anyone that's listening, if you have somebody that you've been going to and they're like, you know, you need a few more sessions, you need to do this, but they're always adding on. <laughs> Right. They upsell. They upsell. It's like, well, (laughs) I told you it was going to take you a year of coming to me every single month for this to be clear. But you know what? You have more work to do because now, you know, whatever, there's, there's a little bit of fear. And also, you know, I've heard of people where, other practitioners. And I'm not trying to bash anybody, by the way. This is more just, I really am feeling led to share this because it's so prevalent out there that when they find out that people um, have come into a little bit of money or that they are gullible and more vulnerable or all of the above, then they're like, all of a sudden their prices increase or all of a sudden you need more work. It's like, you can do this on your own. But at the same time, we do need people to hold space for us and to help guide us when we're not when we're not sure where we're going in our lives or direction of this, which is why there are people out there for resources and community, but not when it's about to take advantage of. Yeah. So your your psychic or medical intuitive or Akashic Records reader or medium, whoever you're going to, should be helping you to develop spiritually um, through either, you know, transformation, revelation, you know, new knowledge. And, and so, yeah, they should never be creating a, a cycle of dependency. And I never tell people to come back to me. In fact, it's kind of a flaw of mine as a business because sometimes I probably should. <laughs> and I don't advertise my services outside of what they came for. So if someone comes to me for medical intuition, I don't then say, oh, you should come back for a healing. I also do that. Or you should come back for, you know, I don't do that. But what if they do need it though? Right. If it comes up in the reading, if I'm told in the reading, mm-hmm. this person also needs this information and we don't have time for it, then I might say, you know, you you might want to come back to get this piece of information that we didn't have time to cover. Um, so, yeah, that's OK. But but what you see people doing out there is using fear mm-hmm. to get people to spend money. So you come to see them. And then they say, oh, I'm seeing all this dark energy. You have a curse on you or you have a bad spirit or whatever. And it's going to cost $3,000 or $5,000 and people pay it. Yeah, because they're afraid. Mm -hmm. And so afraid, uh, fear is easily capitalized upon. And so I try not to use fear at all in my business, even when there are scary things that need to be reported. Like if someone has cancer, for example, Mm -hmm. I don't ever use the word cancer in my medical intuitive readings, unless I say something like, if you don't get this taken care of, it could turn into cancer, right? I'm never mm-hmm. going to say you have cancer because that's going to scare somebody so much. Um, and so I try to avoid inspiring fear because fear is rarely transformative. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is, 
Um, I did have this one situation. I mean, I've had a couple situations where women were in abusive relationships and I saw that their husband was going to try to kill them. And so I did tell them, look, you need to leave like tomorrow, pack your bags. This guy is going to try to kill you. That was fear. But I felt like in those, it only happened twice, but in those two situations. To save their lives. Yeah. It was to save their life. So only in extreme cases would I bring fear into a reading because fear is rarely transformative. And my focus is how can I help them to transform, right? How can I be of service? How can I help them to heal? That's my purpose. My purpose is not how can I make the most money or how can I have the best reputation? Because if you want the best reputation, that's going to compromise you because it can be bad for your reputation if you do things like turn people away or cancel a session in the middle of a session. I've done that where I'm in a session, I'm not getting, I don't feel like I'm working at my best. And five minutes into the session, I'll say, you know what? We need to reschedule. I'm not, this is not the quality that I want to be working at today. I'm obviously not, you know, something's not right. And people don't like that. And sometimes when you're working with integrity, you know, it can, it can hurt your, your status or your bottom line. <laughs> yeah. I've had to cancel some sessions primarily when I was really sick with, you know, the thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Rona. That shall not be named. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, that thing. And anyway, I, um, I, it wasn't that I didn't want to push myself, but it's like I tuned in and I just wasn't getting any information and it was taking care of myself. But also, like you said, if you're not at your optimal, then, you know, and so I think that honestly, everybody that I did that with was very uh, understanding, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes, some practitioners or people would just push themselves through it and not give that optimal. And it's dangerous for both people. It is. And, and you know, we can see a history of this, like in, in certain, like in, in spiritualism, for example, I've read a lot about the history of spiritualism. And, you know, whenever there are psychics, there are always people trying to unmask us as frauds, mm-hmm. right? There's just this, yes. all these skeptics. And, and what some people found when they were, when they were, you know, kind of, harassing these spiritualists was that some of them were using tricks, like they were using magic tricks. Mm -hmm. And what the interesting thing about it was, was a lot of these people who were engaging in kind of the magic were actually gifted mediums, but they would have the bad day, but Mm. they felt so much pressure to deliver that if they had 10 people in a seance room and they weren't getting spirit, then they would do a trick because they felt like they couldn't tell people, everyone go home, it's not happening today. <laughs> but sometimes that's what you have to do. And I, and you also have to be self-aware. This is one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, working on your emotional growth, you know, getting therapy, being aware of your emotions, knowing what your triggers are, what your issues are, so that it doesn't get projected onto your client or affect how you interact with certain clients from certain demographics. And one thing that I had to become aware of about myself is I get really annoyed when people show up really late. And it's because I, I prepare for the Sorry session. about that. <laughs> <laughs> She's calling me out, people. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm but teasing. Like, yeah. Like I'm setting, I set up sacred space for my mm-hmm. sessions mm-hmm. and I pray in the space, bring in my guides and I, and I meditate and I'm all ready. When somebody is 15 to 20 minutes late, oh, yeah. I, co- I, I come out of that space and then I'm in the space of stress and anxiety and annoyance. I realize this about myself that for whatever reason, it really bothers me. 
So I started to have, I created a policy where if a person was more than 10 minutes late, I rescheduled. You're nicer than I am. I'm like, if you don't show up in 10 minutes, you can reschedule, but you're charged again. (laughs) Oh, hey, wow, that's hardcore. I probably (laughs) should have done that. But I would... uh, I would say we have to reschedule. I, I also did char I also do charge in advance. I mean, if so. it's an emergency or something's happening, I can normally pick up on the reasons and I'm like, hey, do we need to reschedule? And that's fine. But it's almost like I luckily I've never had somebody like that. But I do wanna yeah, I feel like people should be very respectful of one another's time and what it the energy it takes to hold it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it it does affect the energy. And what I found out about myself was that if the person got there 15 minutes late. Or 20 minutes late. And yeah, it was never an emergency. It was always, mm-hmm. I was in traffic. Oh, you left late. Or I was, you know, whatever. It was always just carelessness. And I would find that it was hard for me then to relax and to get into mm-hmm. the session for the first, like, it was very distracting for the first five minutes. And I said, you know what? This is just something about myself that I know. So let me, let me fix this. So then I create that that policy, and I and I tell them in advance. You know, if you're you need to, you need to, first of all call if you're going to be late in advance, not like when you're due here. But then also, if you're going to be more than ten minutes late, we're just going to reschedule. And some people have even shown up, and I've said I'm not going to see you. <laughs> and they're like, "But I'm here," and I'm like, "Yeah." And you're 15 minutes late, and a lot of times I do have clients back to back, so there's also that like you right, can't push right. everybody late mm-hmm. because of one person. Mm-hmm. But I just, I really did that because of self-awareness that I knew that it was affecting my work. Well, and I think what you're also talking about is boundaries and the boundaries of being a practitioner, but then that also creates sacred space for both you and or the clients and the person that really, if they're coming to you or anyone is to be in that sacred space to receive messages and information and or healing energy. And that's a whole different vibration and frequency than what you're, you know, what you're getting into, like you said, if you're feeling rushed or something's not happening or whatever, you know, so there's that. Um, Before we end, I just want to say thanks so much. I am, again, fascinated by this whole topic about the medical intuition and medical intuitives and what that looks like. So thank you for sharing, but also about your book and putting the ethical psychic out there. I definitely am going to get that and read it and I'll be sure to include it in the show notes. What other things would you like to share before we close out? Oh, Wow, that's a broad question. So many things. <laughs> it's called, by the way, in PR, it's called the golden question. You always ask it at the end. Is there anything else you want to share? And oh, it's is a, it? Yeah, it's a gift. So we teach it in media training. And I just, love it. Yeah, and so I always use it at the end. And it's really, if there's anything you want to emphasize again, or I also ask it because sometimes I get last minute messages <laughs> from spirit. So what would you like to emphasize? Uh, Well, one thing I wanted to share is that I'm working on the development of a school called Metatron's Academy of Super Science, um, Super Sensory Science. And it's a school to train a critical mass of psychically gifted and intellectually astute luminaries to facilitate and accelerate the global shift in consciousness. And it's it's an academy where people will study and also where research will be done on psychic and science. And so everything that I'm doing, all the books that I'm working on and the the speaking that I do and the teaching is all um, leading to this this school. Um, I've started out with an online school where I'm just teaching medical intuition. 
And so I have that uh, that can be accessed through my website. But eventually it's going to be a school with a lot of teachers teaching a lot of different subjects. And um, we are in this global shift in consciousness. And I know it's not always obvious because we're going through so much. But what we're going through, all of these, you know, kind of traumas that we're going through right now is really a part of the shift. It's the way we're shifting as we're shifting through all of these challenges. And so that's why so many more people are developing gifts right now. So many more people are setting up practice and opening schools. And there's so much happening in terms of psychic and healing work because that's where we're at um, in time and space on the planet. Yes, I love that. And I also am feeling led to ask you back on so we can talk about that in more detail because it sounds amazing. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. <laughs> and definitely what's needed. Yeah. And also maybe we can team up with others on creating kind of a standard of practice. I started writing a spiritual bill of rights, similar to like our healthcare bill of rights through uh, just conversations with other people. And one night my guides and angels wouldn't let me go, let me go to sleep until I started jotting some things down. And I think that that would be kind of, it sounds like maybe right up your alley for like your school as well. That's one of the purposes of this school. And um, that's one of the things I think has to happen with medical intuition is that we have to have standards so that we can start practicing in a way in which other healthcare practitioners practice where there's standards and there's, there's schools and, you know, there's ethics mm-hmm. um, so that more people can access the incredibly healing. Um, and do it in a safe place and knowing that there's a criteria <laughs> and a standard. Right. There. So yeah. you don't have to worry about frauds yeah. and, mm-hmm. and people trying exactly. to just make money. <laughs> exactly. Well, how can everyone reach you? Where would you like them to go? Well, I have a, um, a website for my practice, drvestmedicalintuitive.com. And I'm actually not taking new clients right now, but I have a waiting list. And if you go to that website, you can access um, information about my book and information about my online medical intuition training program. Great. And uh, yeah, so I also have a podcast and um, I'm on a lot of platforms. Yeah, I will link and share all of that in the show notes. And I just wanted to say thank you again for joining and being a part of A Psychic Story. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at apsychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about or have a suggestion for a future guest? Send an email to contact at a psychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.